Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Douglas. I'm your host of On Psych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association, brought to you by Jane, the app for managing your software for your for your uh, practice management. Uh, it's a great tool. So check them out at jane.app. That's J-A-N-E dot A-P-P. I am here today with Christine Newman. Christine is a transgender woman that I have known for many, many years, simply through connecting on Twitter, having discovered a similarly goofy sense of humor and sharing some mutual friends, including Natalie Harris, uh, who uh, has done so much work uh, with um, uh, first responders and and, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, I've been following Christine for for a long time until she pulled back a little bit from uh, from social media, uh, which is something I totally, totally get. Uh, You know, if you look at any story, any conversation, anything that happens online where gender gets raised, you will know just how quickly toxic those uh, conversations can become. So. Uh, I hope today's conversation will not be so so toxic, but I want to welcome you, Christine, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Doc. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. T- tell me a little bit about that decision that you took to, to pull back a bit on, on social media. What, what, what was your experience? Um, <clears throat> it's not... You're, Funny enough, the the ugly side of social media doesn't come up for me around gender and such because I don't care and I don't argue with idiots. That's a good um, approach. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, as as my you know uh, late mother used to say: don't argue with imbeciles because they'll pull you down to their level and beat you with experience. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have. Everybody tells me that I definitely inherited her English sense of humor, so. I just don't have the accent, uh, <laughs> but um, well, it sneaks in every now and then. My every once in a while, my natural speaking voice will drop into the conversation, and people go, "What was that?" And I said, "Sorry, that's a little bit of Bristol dropping in for a visit." <laughs> Lovely. Um, <clears throat> I, I I took the, I took the break from social media just because it's such a toxic place, and I mean, some of the people I had been doing peer support with. And, you know, and I don't necessarily limit myself to one particular group. I mean, uh, I'll take anybody who wants to talk and I'll sit and listen. Um, and I found that a lot of people, especially with the start of the pandemic, were, would sit there all day, all night, doom scrolling, mm-hmm. you know, just flipping screen after screen, looking for all the doom and gloom to prove that life sucks and the world is going to die. You know, and the world is going to end tomorrow kind of thing. And it's just like, oh, get over yourself. Yeah. And my typical advice to many of them was turn your phone off, put it in a drawer in the kitchen and forget about it for a day or two. Yes. And it was like, they were like, turn it off. Oh my God. I never turned my phone off. And this is like, there's the problem. Yeah. Um, and it's been that way since the beginning of the internet, you know, back with MSN, when it was the only access point. Um, and I worked for a content provider back in those days. And people would, you know, complain about things that were because there were trolls and idiots even then, 30 years ago. And people yes. would, you know, complain. Like, I had people phone me in the middle of the night. You know, can you go online and solve this problem? And it's just like, uh-uh. here's what you do. 
turn the damn computer off. Yeah. And go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and so people said, you know what? Like, oh, you can't, you can't live without social media. I said, watch me. <clears throat> you know, and I, I always laugh with that one because I always remember Pierre Trudeau with just watch me. Right. And this, and the little fact that, not, and the little fact that not a lot of people know is that he and I share a birthday. We were both born on October the 18th. No kidding. And we found this, we found this out one time when I was a kid, we were at the science center and they had this big monster of a computer. You taped your birthday in and told you all the famous people born on the same date. And the first one that came up was prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Mum got an idea and she had me sign a birthday card and she mailed it to him. And <laughs> for years, he and I used to exchange birthday cards because we shared the same birthday. Wow. Isn't that cool? And so it's just like, <clears throat> it's like little things like that. And it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Because I've said that many times to people. And they say, oh, you can't do that. Just watch me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I yeah. took a year off. I just like literally walked away quite happily. I deleted everything but LinkedIn. I kept my professional network going. Right. And, <clears throat> and it was just like, oh, my God. I said, like, you feel five years younger after a week. Yes. Away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I it's just like and the one thing I keep telling people, you you wanna you wanna feel better mentally, turn off your social turn off your phone for a week. It it's really like, is calls from your partner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talk to your kids, but turn everything else off. Yes. Yes, because it really is. It really, you know, it's so easy to forget that social media is not real life, right? It does like the level mm -hmm. of division that we see on social media doesn't really represent what's happening out there on the streets. Although I do think that there are some ways in which the real world, unfortunately starts to pick up that negativity and replicate it. So Christine, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, uh, the work that you do in peer support. Um, it's fun. Let me tell you. Um, I'm, I, and it's like, I never associated peer support, the, the term, with a lot of the work I've done for many, many years now, it's like coming up on 40 years mm -hmm. um, until I had a chance to chat with Sid Gravel and Brad McKay. And they said, yeah, but all that stuff you've been doing for decades, that's, that's peer support. Yeah. Two great, nifty. two great, great friends of mine, yeah. you know, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I love nothing more than working with them. I'm, I'm on their peer and trauma support systems team mm -hmm. as a facilitator. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, and what's really nifty with that is that Sid contacted me on Thanksgiving weekend back in 2018. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, the young fella, which is what he calls Brad. Yeah. Uh, the young fella and I are about to, to do the, you know, our, our twice a year review of all our materials. And he said, and we don't have anything, you know, LGBTQ2S. He said, that's a big missing. He said, and so would you be willing to work with us and go through and make sure that we're covering all the bases so that everybody comes under the um, peer support umbrella? I said, certainly. Hey, I just want to point fun. out, I just want to point um, out too, by the way, uh, if I can interrupt for a second, the people we're talking about here yeah. are two former police officers, right? One of whom right. I would estimate is probably in his mid sixties, right? Said, and you know, so these are Sid's getting, Sid's getting up there, yeah. Right. So these are these are these are former police officers who are open, 
in their minds and their hearts and their souls, right? And I just want to emphasize that because I think oh, you know, totally. we so often miss that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's... I mean, this is this has been part of the work that I've done over the years. <clears throat> you know, not only with the peer support stuff. I mean, I they somebody hung a handle on me years ago and it stuck. Um, with the work I've done, you know, within the Rainbow family over the years, mm-hmm. which is easier than trying to say that damn acronym every time. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not fussy. You know, I don't get precious over terminology and words and acronyms and all this nonsense. As I will make it simple for people so that we can relate at the same level. Um, <clears throat> but so somebody once hung the, hung the uh, uh, handle on me, city mom, um, because this kid's mom and I were both born in the same year. We're both Libras, and we were born a day apart. Hmm. And so because she lived outside the city, she was country mom. And I lived in the city. I was city mom. Or I worked with Sid and Brad is that the biggest part of peer support is listening with empathy. Yes. And somebody said to me, oh, that's, you know, pop psychology, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, no, no. Let me describe empathy to you. The minute your knees hit the floor while you're dealing with something heavy duty, you'll find that I'm already down there waiting for you. Uh-huh. That's listening with empathy. Yeah. You know, you can put yourself in that person's shoes. And usually the reason you can put yourself in that person's shoes, because you've been there yourself. If anyone wants to, yeah, yeah. If anyone wants to see an example of what listening with empathy truly looks like, I I don't think you can find a better example than the Tom Hanks, uh, Mr. Rogers movie, where, you know, one of the things that stands out. Yeah, and what, one of the things that stands out for me in that movie is the courage that Mr. Rogers had to have in order to to do what he did, mm-hmm. right? You know, connecting with people that didn't necessarily want to be connected with, but you know, truly needed to be connected with. It's it's really fascinating, fascinating stuff, and not easy. It's not. I'm a psychologist, and I don't find that easy. You know, it's 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 constantly a um, you know, you, you have to be very mindful of how you are listening to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And after a while, it's just like, because <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Somebody I've known quite well for, for a while, um, there was something that happened in the news and it dug up some ancient stuff for her. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she called me up and and I said, you know, what's going on, which is usually the opening, you know, is opening the door for, you know, get ready. Here comes, uh, you know, a, a, a flood. Mm-hmm. And and so she told me, you know, all the stuff that had been dug up from her past from this news story. And I said, got it. You know, and she wasn't sleeping. She was having nightmares, et cetera. <clears throat> typical, you know, typical from somebody who deals, you know, battles PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, I said to her, I said, okay, I said, so here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm taking all of this stuff with me. You can't have it back. <laughs> and I'm going to go across the road. There's this, there's this big ass oak tree across the road in a, in a park. And he said, the canopy on this thing's over a hundred feet wide. So it was like, it's huge. And 
uh, I said, I'm going to go over there. And I said, and I'm going to hug the, ba- I'm going to hug the drunk. I said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send all this stuff back down into the ground. You can't have it back. I said, you've done, you're done playing with it. I said, and then phone me tomorrow morning and tell me if you slept uh, last night, you know, tonight. And she phoned me the next morning. She says, Oh my God, she's, I've never, I haven't slept that peaceful in a long time. I said, yeah, all you had to do was be listened to. Yeah. He said, and I took the toy away. You can't play with it anymore. <laughs> I said, sometimes it's that simple. I said, really and a lot be. of the time. Yeah. And a lot of the time with peer support, it's just listening to somebody and validating their experience. Um, I was called in by a, a support organization. Um that, that supports police and their families. And, and <clears throat> there was a, a civilian, Anna, who's married to a copper. Um, they both work in the same service. Um, the, the kid is trans. <clears throat> and over a five-month period, this kid had like 30, 20 or 30 ER admissions. Right. Um, <clears throat> multiple, multiple attempts at suicide. And so I was sent on a conversation now. And the next day I arrived with somebody from the organization and the mom called just as we were pulling into a parking spot because um, he was supposed to have been you know, admitted. And uh, no, they discharged them. Um, and so uh, it's something that a friend of mine who's a Toronto copper who does a lot of work on the mental health side. We call it patch and dispatch. Yes. Yeah, yes. We'll stitch you up and then we'll kick you out the next morning. Um, <clears throat> and if you, you know, if you walk out the ER door and walk in front of a transport truck, uh, gee, what a shame. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, uh, we went to a coffee shop nearby and sat and chatted. And I had a therapist on via text with me uh, and we were texting back and forth and I'm giving them an update as to what's happening. And they're giving me some suggestions. And then finally, I just had to, I, I, I'd heard enough and I leaned in and hushed everybody and said, this, this is what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to talk now. You two shut up. <laughs> and so I, and I, and this, this, you know, kids looking down and won't look up and, you know, sobbing and everything. And it's just like, so I started interacting and I said, you know, listen, you said this and I totally get it. And if I can arrange that for you, are you willing to work with me? And he looked up and where our eyes met and I thought, gotcha. Yeah. And so basically I just, you know, worked with him on everything that he had been saying for the past two hours and nobody was listening to him. Right. And it was really simple stuff. Like, you know, if you go back to this, to, to live in this town, you know, if I arrange a therapist for you to see there, you know, will you go see them? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wonderful. You know, um, you know, when you go back to this, I know that groups don't work for you. So if I can get you somebody that'll work with you one-on-one, are you willing to give it a try? Yes. Wonderful. And it just, and it was just going down his list of stuff yeah. that he needed to feel comfortable getting better. Right. Right. And in the intervening years, in the years since, he's never been back near an ER. Isn't that amazing? Hey, on listeners, Katie here from Jane. I wanted to take a few seconds to say you're doing incredible work. 
Whether you're a receptionist, office manager, practitioner, or all of the above, we see your commitment to your clients. Jane was built to help you transform that commitment into a thriving business, all while making your day-to-day easier. You can head to jane.app forward slash mental health to read more and see if we can be a good fit for your practice. We're talking a little bit about uh, your work uh, in peer support, and Mm -hmm. you're connected to a a couple of really good friends of mine, uh, Sid Gravel and Brad Mackay, um, who are police officers, former police officers, uh, and uh, they do a lot of work in peer support, uh, sort of generally in mental health, but really specifically as well, training peer support uh, in in policing. Right. And we were talking a little bit uh, about the, the the work that you've done in in peer support. Um, can you can you can you bring us back to that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> it's I, I discovered talking with Sid and uh, Brad at various times because we we you know usually share a funny every day via text and some Saturdays when the weather's uh, frigid we'll sit around on text Saturday morning with our cup of coffee and it's like we're sitting around the Cracker Barrel at, at the old General Store shooting the breeze. Um, catching up with each other. And, um, you know, that's how I discovered a lot of the stuff that I wouldn't have called peer support uh, that I've done in the past is actually, you know, peer support, the informal time. Um, Where, you know, you're sitting with somebody on the front porch or, you know, in my case, it was typically sitting in Starbucks with a coffee and letting somebody, you know, uh, say whatever they had to say because, uh, you know, I'm I'm a very good listener. Um, right. You know, is uh, I'm the type of person being a, being your stock standard empath. That <clears throat> when I used to travel a lot on business back in the day, back in the 80s and 90s, I would be the one sitting in an airport lounge waiting for a plane, and some total stranger would come over and sit down and like tell me their entire life story or yeah. something that they're dealing with, and I was typically traveling with one of the VPs of the company at the time. And we got on the plane one time. She's, how do you do that? I said, do what? Um, and she said, people come over and sit down and like, and pour their heart out to you. She's and you listen. And then they thank you and get up and go. And she said, like, how do you do that? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I'm just cute and cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't question that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it is fascinating, is it? Because it, it's really the heart of it. Of course, is simply listening without judgment. Yeah, I, right? I've often said, as I just sent uh, an example out recently, one of our graduates from the uh, from the June Rainbow Peer Support course. Um, I short form a lot of these humongous acronyms because I get, I get, even I get tired, and I'm an old fart. Yes. Um, yes, and we can't we can't resist adding more money. letters all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at one point that acronym was over twenty characters long, and yeah. people said, "You know, really, guys, get real." Um, yeah, and so you know, it, it went it went right back down to five letters again, and then the two S was added, and now now they're starting to build on it again. It's up over twelve letters in, in some places, and it's looks like people, you're being stupid. Yeah, 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 but yeah. you know, I, I've I said to our folks, it's like the biggest thing you will learn about peer support is listening with empathy. 
because you and I were speaking, you know, for, you know, you know, we've known each other for the, you know, the solid, solid 40 minutes now. I yeah. can't even remember if I mentioned because it ceased to be terribly relevant to me, to be honest. Right? But I don't even remember if I mentioned when I was introducing you that you are a transgender woman. Right. And of course, and that's part, of course, of the reason why, you know, I, I wanted to speak to you is to kind of get that. Uh, get that aspect of your experience because I think it's such an interesting one and it's a challenging one, you know, that, uh, um, you know, and, and yet, you know, I talked to you for half an hour and it's like, you know, <laughs> who cares, yeah, right? The you know? And the thing that I keep pointing out to people, especially when I've been training police officers, you know, across Canada and overseas. And, you know, I've given courses, <clears throat> you know, LGBTQ2S basics, which is, you know, Rainbow 101. Uh, which is sort of like a 90-minute course for dummies. Um, we, back in the day, we used to call them $3 experts because the price of a four dummies book was $2.99 in Cole's bookstore. And so we used to call them $3 experts because they bought a dummies book and read it. Now they think they know everything. Um, yeah. And so <clears throat> it's it's been – and how this all got involved was, you know, I had <clears> – there was a thing called – <clears throat> excuse me, the Ontario Experience Program back in the 80s. It was started in 1981 uh, by the Ontario government. And it was for high school, university, college kids to get experience in the workforce. And it would look good on your resume. So it help you get a job when you graduated. And so I thought, this is nifty because they're paying good money. This is not minimum wage. This is a good buck because this will buy my textbooks for grade 13. That's how old I am. And <clears throat> I ended up working at 22 Division for the summer on a crime prevention program. And so I got, and it's like, and policing was in my top three careers after school. Uh, right. Because you, know, you look through our family history, it's, they pretty much always had a job with a uniform. You know, first responder, military, whatever. Um, and so I was given this a serious look. Now, this was four months after the bathhouse raids in Toronto. Back in right. 1981. And wow. so, you know, and I wasn't publicly out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there listening to the conversations in the station and I'm thinking, this is not the job for me. Right. Uh, and I did give it a try. I applied in 1984 and was literally laughed out of the personnel office, at the old headquarters on Jarvis Street. Mm. Um, so... <clears throat> Um, I met this young constable in the 90s, fellow by the name of Des Ryan. And he said to me, he says, look, he said, uh, if you want to make a difference with these characters, you got to sit at the table and tell them the truth that they don't want to hear. Um, Deputy Chief McLean used to said I was perfect at speaking truth to power because I told them everything that they didn't want to hear, but they needed to hear anyway. Right, and, right. And I can be a little blunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'd noticed, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and I don't have and I don't have a lot of time for, you know, as for idiots. Right. I had another word. Right. I had another word and I had to edit on the fly. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> Good for you. You do have a filter. That's right. That's right. There's a, there's a term we have in the UK and it's not necessarily fit for all ears um and <laughs> then so and and so i got involved then and i've worked 
you know, alongside, not for, but with Toronto police for almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and to be honest, been, I mean, in, in my experience working with the police, right? Uh, yeah. One of the, one of the most straightforward things you can do to make sure that you have a good relationship with a police officer is yeah. be real, be honest, right? Exactly. You know, what they, they, they have a, you know, a very finely tuned BS detector. And if you're Absolutely. not being genuine, right? If you're not being genuine, they're going to write you off. And when I, I was, that really, yeah. yeah. When I was learning to teach <clears throat> back in the nineties, Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I, the one thing I found after taking all those courses is that my BS detector was like at its absolute best. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, as I've been teaching in universities and colleges over the years, you know, going in to do a guest lecture here and there. And I regularly get asked, how come you get along with cops when most people don't? I said, because. I do something that none of you do. And they said, what? I said, I deal with the human, not the uniform. Right. Now, with, with, with the work you've done with police, right? You know, I mean, you've, you've mm-hmm. actually, you know, you've gone into police stations. You've hung out in the, in the break room, right? You've been, you've made yourself available to, mm-hmm. uh, to the police, right? In order to, you know, I think to, to, I'm assuming to raise awareness, right, and to break down barriers. I mean, obviously, there, you know, as you say, historically, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the bathhouse issues in Toronto and that kind of a thing. Historically, and, and more recently, the Pride Parade. Uh, historically, there's been a lot of tension between, you know, the the, the rainbow uh, uh, community, as you describe it, and and policing. And oh, exactly. it, it is starting to break down, isn't it? It is, and in all honesty, and I've told them this. I said, "Look, guys," I said, "the the 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 flack you've taken from the community, you deserved it, because <laughs> you've done some pretty dumb stuff over the years." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I mean, I I I've heard some of these things. I, I somebody uh, in one in one of my recent courses um, said, you know, looked embarrassed before he said this. And, you know, so I'll give him I'll give him brownie points for that. And he said, you know, around the station, the, the guys call the community the alphabet mafia. Now, he said 99 out of 100 people in the community would get horribly offended by that. I thought it was hilarious. Pardon, <laughs> because I've been around long enough to remember that 20 character acronym that they made politicians yeah. recently. Um, and yeah. some of the other silliness that they've done over the years. And it's just like, I think it's hilarious myself. And a lot yeah. of the old farts that I hang around with, <clears throat> you know, because we're all getting close to 60 or past it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, have said, you know, that stuff's funny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because we see that we see the stupidity in it, you know, on both. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> so it's like, this is their way of, you know, a little bit of dark humor of dealing with some of the more vocal anarchists in the community. Uh-huh. And I totally get it. Cause I, as like I say, I, I wrote it down in my, in my instructor's manual because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of the yeah. stuff. And it, like I've had, when I've been teaching over the years, you know, whether it's police or university or, you know, police foundations courses at college, you know, and, and <clears throat> excuse me. And I've said, look, <clears throat> 
Um, again, it's one of those pick your battles kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is, do you really want to die on this hill when you could win the entire war? Um, mm-hmm. But also, I said, consider this, and it was something that this young cop who I met in the '90s, um, you know, who retired as a detective, uh, said to me back then. And he said, "Look, he and I were talking recently, and he said, you know, here's the problem with cops." And he said, and "It's not necessarily, uh, you know, a personality thing or any of that. Although in some cases, some people just should never hit, wear the uniform." Uh, he said, they're running from 911 call to 911 call. And as I explained this to a class of rookie officers who had just graduated from uh, from the Ontario Police College a few months ago, um, I said, people are not calling you to invite you over because they're having a birthday party and they're going to hand you a burger and a beer when you get out of the car. Right. And I said, you're dealing with people in crisis. People in crisis are not necessarily on their top behavior. In the moment. Um, and I said, the problem is, as my friend said to me, he says, they fix an opinion of a community by what they deal with when they're running from 911 call to 911 call. So he said, if you right. only see people at their worst behavior, he said, then you, you know, you eventually you fix it in your head that they're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And Human said, beings are terrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, Human he, beings he, are terrible he, at learning from statistics, right? We yeah. learn from experience. Yeah. Well, and yeah. human beings are meaning making machines. And I'll give you mm-hmm. the perfect I'll give you the perfect example of this. Years ago I worked for a company on Bay Street in the corporate world. <clears throat> and I and when Fan, it was when Phantom of the Opera was in Toronto for the first time. And so one of our favorite things to do if we had vendors in town or people visiting from the States take them to Phantom of the Opera one night. So, I mean, I saw the show 10 or 11 times in its first run. And I had a friend uh, who was in a course with me and she's, you know, her birthday was coming up. She says, you know, I'd love to see Phantom of the Opera, but it's like, I'm a university student. I can't afford this stuff. I had tickets in my desk for work that were about to, you know, that would, would have gone unused. And I said, look, I get tickets in my, in my desk at work. You want to go? I'll take you. Really? Yeah. I said, and they got the VIP suite tickets too. So we go in a different entrance. You have a private lounge downstairs. You get your own bathroom. You don't have to line up with the masses, et cetera, et cetera. We come down at the intermission and she's taken a long look at this brooch in this, in the souvenir case. Cause what's in the lounge is different from what they have upstairs. So it's like the phantom mask made out of crystals. Cool. Hmm. And she's looking at it, looking at it. She's, oh, I should. I said, why don't you get it? You know, treat yourself. No, 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 it's too much. You know, I, I that's lunch for a week at school. All right. I said, well, you better use, you know, the facilities because they're about to take us back up to our seats for the second half of the show. And the fellow behind the counter looked at me as soon as she went out of the room. He said, box it up. I said, yeah. He said, throw it in the bag. <laughs> throw it in the bag with the, with the souvenir programs. We were going across the road for dinner when the Senator Steakhouse used to be there. And they used to have the jazz club top of the Senator. We go in, we sit down, we order a drink, order, order, our, order our dinner. And we're sitting there gabbing back and forth. Now I had taken the cardboard sleeve off the box with the brooch, dropped it into my jacket pocket. And I pull out this black velvet box and hand it to her. She opens it up, squeals with delight, jumps up, runs around the table, throws her arms around me, 
And I'm, and I said to her, "Happy birthday!" And the restaurant started to applaud. <laughs> the maitre d wow. comes over with the bucket and the champagne, and she goes, "Oh my God, what just happened?" I said, "Here, as human beings are meaning-making machines, they saw a black velvet box, even though it's way too big for a ring." They saw mm -hmm. something shiny inside, which is a brooch that's way too big for a ring. <clears throat> they saw your reaction, and the rest of it they made up themselves. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, there you go. This is a perfect example of human beings are meaning-making machines. That's right. That's right. Put, putting and, things together that don't necessarily you have a causal relationship. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, what psychologists call correlation, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I, and so yeah. it was so hilarious in the moment. She goes, what do we do? I said, just go for it. I said, because it's going to take 10 times longer to explain it than it is to just take the free bottle of champagne, eat our dinner, and get the hell out of here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And You've done was, such a great job, right, you know, of, of breaking down a lot of barriers of, you know, just by being yourself, being authentic, right, reaching out to, you know, communities where, you know, previously there may have been you know, hostility and prejudice, right? And by being authentic, breaking down those barriers, which I think is so admirable. I'm wondering, oh, is there like anything? A of, yeah, a lot of the time it's just, I just go out and be myself. You know, mm -hmm. nutty with a warped, twisted, filthy sense of humor and a filth, even filthier laugh. Because yeah. <laughs> I've, I've run into people I used to work with in the corporate world on Bay Street. And, and it's like, I remember this one gal, she said, God, I miss hearing your laugh around the office. Mm -hmm. I said, really? Mm -hmm. She said, I could be having the worst day. She says, and I'd hear you laugh like Woody Woodpecker. And she's, my day was instantly better. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I'm wondering, is there anything? You do, is, all you have to do is be yourself. Is it's the same thing with the police. I said, you yeah. know, I, I've, when I've been training them, I said, look, I'm going to relate to you as a human, not your uniform. And I ask that you give me the same courtesy. Relate to me as a human, not my, you know, assigned identity. He said, I'm, I'm not a great believer in labels. I think labels suck. I said, so when people ask me to define myself, they say, what are you? Is it human? Mm -hmm. And I said, some people get really frustrated with that. Well, what's in your pants? Me. <laughs> well, if I... Well, what if I stuck my hand in there? What would I find? I said, you'd pull out a bloody stump where your hand used to be. <laughs> and, and that's about the point they just get frustrated and walk away. Yeah. 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 And, and so, oh my God, that I is funny. The biggest is... thing I have found in the work that I've done with police over the decades, you know, is that all I have to do is be a storyteller, a really good storyteller. Mm -hmm. It's like, the new education, the new training programs they're using right now, uh, they developed from my materials, you know, from the research I've done over the years and, you know, classroom presentations I have. I just threw the door open and said, look, here's all my files. Here's all my presentations. Take what you need and, you know, mm -hmm. make the new training program, which is what they did. You're, talk you're talking about uh, uh, Sid Gravel and Brad McKay? No, like, this the, is the, Toronto they're, Police. They're, oh, I'm sorry. No. Toronto Police. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah terrific. Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! Sid and Brad already had all this knowledge. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sid is one of the greatest allies the community's ever seen, and so is Brad. Yeah. You know, yeah, when they yeah. were 
staff sergeants with their respective services, York and Ottawa. It's like Sid was responsible for recruiting. He recruited the first ever in Canada trans officer, Christine Schultz. Wow. And he had to go to bat to get her. And, you know, and Brad was much the same way with York, but also Mm -hmm. the two of them and bringing the rainbow community into peer support, which is why we have our own rainbow peer support course. When you're training cops, as I found, especially, you know, out at Toronto Police College, when I'm running a course there, um, as -hmm. we did in July for, uh, I call them baby cops, the, as it, all you have to do is be a really good storyteller because I can stand there and quote statistics at you and facts and figures and definitions and that and bore you senseless. Yeah. I said, but somebody said, well, why would you, you know, why do you tell them the stories that you tell them? I said, simple. I said, look in this room. Most of the cops in this room weren't even born before the nineties. And some yeah. of them are like post 2000 babies. I said, so <clears throat> They have no frame of reference for what went on before. So I said, if you want to talk about, you know, bathhouse raids, you need to tell, you need to, you know, lay out a picture for them, which is what I do. Here's what Toronto was like in the late seventies. Yes. And here's the the murder of Emmanuel Jacques, the shoeshine boy murder. Mm-hmm. I said, which led the, you know, the, the newspapers and the media to start that battle call you know, clean up Toronto kind of thing. Now you understand why the bathhouse raids and why the response that they got from the community. I said, now, I said, some people will get better from this. I said, some people are still friggin' better or bitter. I said, and it's entirely up to them. Better or bitter, it's your choice. I said, but if if you tell them the story that paints the picture of what, you know, what went on around it, I said, because it's like talking about a single event is taking it entirely out of context and people won't grasp it. But if you explain to them the bigger picture, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why the community was so pissed off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, and it's that easy. It's just like a lot of what happens between the police and the rainbow folks, especially the trans community, is because either they don't know us, they've never met us, or they don't understand us. I'm wondering, you know, because it strikes me that the relationship between psychologists and, you know, uh, the trans community has, you know, it, it's also been challenging, right? It's also, it's you know, obviously, I'm sorry? It has evolved over the years, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. What are the changes you've I mean, seen? I think of... Um, now I'm not. Now I'm going to forget the name of the place. The Clark Institute before it became yes. Cambridge, and the right. Clark Institute was known as the Torture Chamber on Queen Street mm. um, because of the requirements that used to be forced upon people when they committed as trans and wanted to transition, which included, mm. you know, you know, cross. You know, it was basically cross dressing because you weren't taking any hormone replacement therapy. You were dressing as your proper gender, not the one you were assigned. Um, so it's just like, you know, legally it was cross-dressing and there used to be a law against that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so whenever some copper was trying to make up their quota for the month, uh, you know, go out and take a few on the Cherry Beach Express, uh, which is what wow. they used to call when they would take members of the queer community down to Cherry Beach and lay a beating on them. Wow. Um, 
uh, they, they, I think they call it Starlight Travel or something like that out west where they, you know, pick up folks who are intoxicated and drop them in the middle of a farmer's field somewhere and let them find their own way back to civilization. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's just like, it, you know, the, the relationship has not always been fun and fan- fanciful. Mm-hmm. And it was the same way with the mental health community. So it's like back then, you know, mm-hmm. with, because I have met people from that era who were forced to go through conversion therapy, psychotropic drugs, yeah. I know, um, yeah. ECT, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of one person in particular I know, and not a lot. I, mean, I used to go you know, to a drop-in for the community at one time, and not a lot of people had the patience to sit with her because she would tell mm-hmm. you the same story six or seven times in a row over the course of dinner, and this is what's yeah. left of her mind. You know, with the yeah. ECT and the drugs and all the rest of it, you know, how it was done back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I said, so the, you know, the psychological and psychiatrical communities were not, you know, looked upon with a smile and a warm and fuzzy thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's taken some time, but it's, and it's been mostly that people from the community actually getting into science and medicine. Um, yep. You know, pe- people have a, a stereotypical thought of what trans people are like. Um, <clears throat> and I look around my circle of friends. Um, one is a software designer who races bikes, does Peloton type things, uh, and is in the top 10 in her uh, age class. <clears throat> Another one is a senior person at Toronto Dominion Bank, you know, TD Bank, the green machine. Um, and you know, and the thing, I remember when she got the job because I was so thrilled for her because she used to be a VP before she came out. And when she came out, she lost everything, her job, her home, her car, all of it, gone. Um, <clears throat> and she's had wow. to scratch and claw her way back from doing shit jobs like McDonald's back yeah. to now when she's, you know, an executive at TD Bank. Yeah. And it's just like, yes, yeah. finally. You know, I have another yeah. friend who was the first person, and this, is, and this is where she and I get along so well because we're not the red face bang on a desk demand stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we were very much into the have a conversation, and so she had a conversation with Oxford University, and they reissued all of her degrees and diplomas in her new name with wow. the appropriate gender. Because wow. she has a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate from Oxford. And getting a doc- doctorate at Oxford back in our time, you know, when she would have been there, was not an easy thing. I don't think it's probably an easy thing today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, and people like, but she's trans. She must be mental. No. She's yeah. freaking brilliant. She's got an IQ that would make men wet themselves. Yeah. and it's like um i look around most of the people that i know and we we've all been you know business people we've been successful yeah all this sort of stuff and i said i i've i especially done this one please i said look i don't want to be out there you know showing off and all the rest of it i said i live to be boring you know go to work go do grocery shopping come home make dinner flop you know, mm-hmm. when I, when I, when my cat was still alive, you know, play with the kitty for the night. <clears throat> yeah. Heidi loved nothing more than a lot of attention. 
Um, so in other words, your life is pretty much identical to mine. <laughs> no. I think we're not that different. No. Um, you know, no. Don't look at the people that you see. You know, I, I've often said, don't pay attention to the freak show uh, and the circus clowns. I said, most of us, I said, are so you know, well blending into the background, you don't even know we're here. Yeah. I'm just an exception that I choose to be a little more out there than most because it's how I teach. Let me ask you this. Mm. Do you think, do you think that there's any value left in the concept of gender? I, I asked that because, you know, I saw this list online. Someone had drawn up a list of 89 different gender identities. And they they recently expanded it up from 60, right? And yes. I look at this going, what is this really still a valuable idea? You know, could we not sort of get to a place perhaps where we let go of the idea that gender is really a valuable concept? Why not could we get to a place, do you think, where we simply dress how we want to, uh-huh. style our hair the way we want to, sleep uh-huh. with who we want to, fall in love with who uh-huh. we want to, choose the job that we want to? You know, like, why do we have to squeeze everything into am I male? Am I female? And if I'm interested in things that you know cross that boundary then i have to adjust my whole identity to that rather than just saying hey who cares what do you think you know i there's a couple of things that come to mind right off the bat one was eddie izzard who Mm -hmm. was being questioned by an interviewer in the uk on television and they Mm -hmm. were like well you know you wear women's clothes he said they're not women's clothes they're my clothes because i bought them Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I thought there's the answer, you know. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, you have you have long hair. You look feminine. No, I have long hair because I like long hair. Yeah. <laughs> and it's or whatever, you know. It's just like people. You'd be surprised how many people said to me, especially women. Oh my God, you know, like look at all that gray and white in your hair. You should dye. Again, should you should dye it? Right. And it's like, I remember a fellow. Little little fellow from New Jersey named Angelo D'Amelio. Mm-hmm. And people who have ever taken a course called the Landmark Forum will know his name. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Angelo said this to me one time when I was when I when I was talking with him. He said, Let me tell you about should. He said, mm-hmm. people should their opinions all over you all day long. <laughs> he said, should is a dog in a fire hydrant. He says, every time yeah. somebody says should, they're pissing on your leg. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, and I thought, yeah, it's one of my least favorite words. Should I said I always make sure I, you know, consciously try to avoid it as much as possible. With you know, and I'll come up with something like, you might want to try this, not you should do this, right? But give this a try. If it works, use it. If it doesn't, don't use it. Yeah. Um, and and the other one that comes to mind is I was dealing with somebody out in the West Coast in D.C. who's a liaison officer for the community out there. And um, the anarchist crowd at UBC had been demanding that their police service list over 100 different gender identities and expressions and titles and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
I said, all right. I said, and his, his superiors wanted to do it because <laughs> they wanted, you know, to keep the peace. Let's just keep the peace and do whatever they want. You know, it's like, don't right. be so damn foolish. Yeah. And I said, you go to your boss and say, internationally, what genders do they list on passports? M, F, and X. Male, female, yeah. and, you know, non-binary, or I don't need your right. stinking label. Right. And right. I said, you know, nationally, provincially, municipally, in Canada, we use M, F, and X. Mm-hmm. I said, CPIC, the Canadian Police Information Center, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uses M, F, and X. Mm-hmm. I said, if you, if your if your command officers think they're going to you know change it on you know, your systems to include over a hundred different identities, get real. Yeah, yeah, not going yeah. to happen. You know, as I look back on my own childhood, I think you know if I'd grown up uh, in a different era, right, I might have ended up identifying non-binary mm-hmm. because I was you know not interested in the boy things. Right. But yeah. there was no other options. <laughs> you know, as I grew up, at least in my, my limited understanding. Um, well, when I was a kid growing up, mom saw something and I don't know what it was, but she decided that, you know, I had an interest in music, which I did. Mm-hmm. And so I started music lessons when I was five. Mm-hmm. And by the time I graduated high school, uh, I could play about nine or 10 instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was just, you know, I just seemed to have, a, you know, a knack for it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas my younger sister had no interest in any of that. She's a total tomboy. She knows nothing about computers. She still has a flip phone because she doesn't know how to work these fancy technology things, you know, mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And it's just like, you missing out, girl. But <clears throat> I remember when I had the conversation with my mom when I was 16. And she said to me, before you choke on your tongue, I already know what you're going to say. I looked at her and I said, how? She said, sweetheart, mothers always know. She said, mm-hmm. I knew from not long after I gave birth to you, that you should have been, you know, female at birth. <clears throat> and, she, and I said, yeah. why didn't you say something? She said, because what if I was wrong? Yeah. She says, as much as it killed me, I had to sit and wait for you to figure it out on your own. Yeah. So, but at that time, I mean, we're talking, you know, 1979, 1980 area, there was no library, there was no internet, there was, you know, nothing that was readily available, not in North America. She had been for years gathering information from Europe. Yes. And so, you know, when this whole thing happened, she pulls out this big, massive brown envelope, she's here, boom, on the table. (laughs) We had some reading to do, kid. Yeah, And she says, whatever you do, don't mention a word of this to your old man or your sister or anybody else in the family because you will never have a minute's peace until you die. She yeah. said, you know what they're like. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. You know, my the old man and my sister are, huh, they're such polar opposites to my mom, to what my mom and I were. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they <laughs> can be very racist, homophobic transphobic mm-hmm. misogynistic you know all of it you know mm-hmm. the the old man mm-hmm. thinks that women were put on on earth for one purpose to serve as him and i got news oh, for boy. you sunshine you know <laughs> you got you know <laughs> not, 
knuckle yeah. dragging, yeah. nose breathing, Harry knuckle Neanderthal. <laughs> and they're yeah. still around. Um, and, and it's just so, so like, the whole the whole thing around gender. People get so wired up, upset, you know, foaming at the mouth about it. And it's just like, what's the big deal? How about we just do away with the labels altogether? I think that would be truly fascinating. And I I don't want to take away, by the way, I don't want to take away from, you know, the the, the very distinct uh, possibility, probability, I honestly don't know. I don't, I'm I'm not a biologist and, 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 you know, this is truly not my area. But I, I do believe that we may be dealing with something that has, a lot of different origins and i think that they're in some cases there are absolutely like you described right the sense of you know your mom spotted it right away right practically yeah. from birth right you grew up with an awareness right yeah and, it started around you know, four or five exactly exactly and i think you know that's one of the phenomena and i think there may be other phenomena there Right. That, that's not always the universal experience. Right. And uh-huh. you know, some people, you know, come to this conclusion later. Some for some people, it was never, you know, a possibility. Right. And, and I think we're, we might be dealing with some, you know, many different explanations, you know, one of which, by the way. Right. Is, which I think is is interesting and disturbing. You know, like I just saw yesterday there is a uh, there is a study of microplastics in the first feces of newborn children mm. and newborns are now being born with 10 times the amount of microplastics in their systems than adults have so they're basically accumulating microplastics in the womb right probably from drinking and water and other such things yeah exactly right and so you know what what is the impact of that on the developing neurological uh uh system right mm-hmm. that's a disturbing possibility right that you know you know we, we you know we talk about oh, is it, you know is it social media generating this is it all a big fad generating this or all these social things that are happening that might be driving you know the the you know the 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 you know much increasing numbers of people identifying as trans but mm-hmm. a really frightening possibility might be what if this is the neurological result of environmental pollution, right? Well, you know, I've seen a lot of people try to explain away stuff. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was one uh, a couple of years ago um, that various hate groups out there, mm-hmm. and they called it rapid onset gender dysphoria. Yes, yes. And all the doctors and scientists and psychologists the, at WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, mm-hmm. released a statement saying, uh, nonsense. Mm-hmm. This is made up twaddle. Mm-hmm. And none of it is logical. And we can prove to you scientifically that what you're saying can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but of course, you know, why believe people who are actually experts mm-hmm. when I saw this on Facebook and it's got to be true? Yes. Oh, please. Yeah. The yeah. and a lot of people said, well, you know, it's bad with the trans thing. And I said, no. I said, you know what it is? <clears throat> they actually see themselves on social media and television and in movies and in print, you know, and on YouTube and all the rest of it. 
I said, when I was growing up with this stuff, I said, we had two. Renee Richards and Christine Jorgensen. That was it. There was nobody else. And then we would come to later find out that one of the Bond girls was a trans woman. Mm -hmm. And when the British media were going to attack her, you know, and make her life a living hell, the person who went to bat and stood up for her was Roger Moore. (laughs) So when I, when I started to transition at 50, my doctor said to me, you actually know a lot more than I do about this. So he said, if I, is it okay if I ask you questions? Cause it was obvious to him that I've been reading a lot more stuff because I've lived it. Yes. You know, it's just like, and this is, you know, Sid and Brad's big thing, you know, the grandfathers of peer support about lived experience. You know, yeah. as, as Sid said to me, when I sent him that article about my uh, buddy B Bailey over in, in Gloucestershire, um, who is a past president of the national transgender police association. See in the UK, trans in uniform, not a big deal. They've yeah. already fought those battles. And it's like, that's right. You will find gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, non-binary, whatever. You will find them all in uniform and nobody gives a rat's furry butt side. Christine, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. And, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, continued best of luck on your on your journey thank you so much doc it's good to see you and and, uh and more than just twitter words on the screen (laughs) i know right (laughs) one of of these days we're all going to get together because brad and sid have often said that once this pandemic is done we're going to have like a cottage weekend bash you know get get our friends you know from from michigan and chicago up here and you know get all the crowd around ontario all the pats team and we're all you know, you, Nat, and a few others, and we're all going to hang out for a weekend and just sit around and, and eat and, and uh, you know, uh, and just have a good time and laugh ourselves silly. I think that sounds like a fantastic plan. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll see you there, my friend. You betcha. I could tell you all about how Jane is thoughtfully designed practice management software, but you can head over to jane.app and see that all for yourself. What you might not see there, though, is us, the team behind Jane. Your team, if you'll let us be. From our developers to our support staff and everyone in between, we're all obsessed with being the best that we can be for you. To see Jane and the rest of the team in action, join us at jane.app and book a one-on-one demo. Or sign up for a one-month grace period using code OPA1MO. Talk to you soon. You have been listening to On Psych, presented by the Ontario Psychological Association. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Mm-hmm.